Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson, I'll be your host and as always I'm joined by Scott and Joris. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing this evening? Hi guys, how are you? Hello everyone, have we um, have we recovered from that helter-skelter mad weekend of action? Not really and in my case it's more about the action off the pitch and my own action in my own life <laughs> than in the life itself. Uh, so I'm, I'm already excusing myself if I sound a bit off uh, later on in the episode since i had to go on the highlights now uh, a good friend of mine had his bachelor's weekend so um it was not the most healthy and um <laughs> weekend well let's put it as healthy <laughs> drink free weekend <laughs> no, no, listen to it, guys me, me and ben are now expecting a private report on all of the quality belgian beers you were down in while we were watching games <laughs> <Jonas. laughs> Well, it was yeah, not well. only it was not only the Belgian collection, but also the, some nice uh, shot collection. Oh, of course, of <laughs> at, course. At any at any time of the uh, of the days, so, basically. <laughs> so, uh, but that yeah. was not all Belgian, though. But okay, enough about that, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people would love to hear about the Bachelor weekend, but alas. This is a Belgian football podcast, not a stag do review podcast. So let's <laughs> get straight into the action. So obviously, given kind of the state of play and everything that happened, we're not going to do our usual going into every single game because unfortunately, Scott and I did not have enough screens or even yours for that matter. He didn't have enough time. We didn't have enough screens to watch every single game because they were mostly one at the same time. So or dive into the ones that mattered. Or eyes. <laughs> or eyes, yeah. Pete, Anything like that. But quickly run through the scores. So we had uh, Dead Rubber on Saturday afternoon. Erpen against Usten. 10-man Usten beat Erpen two goals to nil. Nice goal from Thierry Ambrose. And then a pretty fortunate one from Albanese. I don't know what Himmelman was doing. Uh, Antwerp versus Circlebus. Antwerp took the lead in this one through uh, Ballyquisha. Circlebus equalised through Kevin Denke. That finished one goal Piece. Union against Beer Scott, uh, that one finished nil-nil, one of the 5.30 games, but we don't know if it has finished because it was suspended due to some moronic fan behaviour, which we will definitely talk about later. Uh, Ghent knew they had to win against Leuven and they did that, we'll get into that one a little bit later. Charleroi against Ottawa again, this did have playoff implications um, if Charleroi were to lose. However, after half an hour, they'd pretty much won this one, it was 3-0, uh, Bio with two and then Sec with an unfortunate own goal, so that one doesn't quite make the playoff conversation cut because Charlotte just walked that one uh, Zolta were definitely on their holiday holidays sorry Quartike and Elect won't give away the score of that one but that was a classic I watched that one alongside the Ghent game and that was a really good game lots of ebbs and flows in that Club Bruges beat Mechelen at home two goals to nil uh, Mats Ritz scored again he's becoming a little bit of a goal scoring midfielder at the moment then Scott Olsen scored as well to finish that one off uh, then we had St. Truden against Standard and Salang against Genk. Scott was on those ones, so we'll get to those in a second as well. But yeah, it was great to see St. Truden Stadium absolutely packed full of fans. We hope to see a lot more of that next season. So let's start with the Playoff 1 implications. Basically, Ghent knew that they had to win or at least and then hope that Anderlecht would lose. And luckily, or thankfully for them, they got the perfect kind of start to the other game in Courtelike. So Courtelike, obviously with nothing to play for. However, I've been really impressed with them in the sense that even when they have nothing to play for, you you don't kind of get that sense. They always are pushing, always playing. Big shout out to Messadou. Uh, I thought he played really, really well in this game as a constant kind of menace to Gomez. Gomez pushing quite hard, as we know he likes to do. Then Messi would kind of try and hit him on the counter. Just needs to work on his finishing because he did everything in this game apart from score. Uh, however, it was him that was uh, involved in the penalty. Had to go to VOR's Hoot with a 
kind of pushed on him. As I go to VAR, took a little bit of time, but it was eventually given as a penalty. Trent Sainsbury, of all players, stepped up. Um, and I don't know, with your centre-half, you I, you mainly think a centre-back is just going to run up and smash it into the back of the net, or at least try and hit it with power. But he did the old slow step, kind of like skippy jump, rolled it into the bottom corner. Really nice finish from him. Uh, that kind of woke Anderlecht up. I thought Kotswijk were a lot better in the second, in the first half. Anderlecht were a bit sluggish in the first half. However, that man, Joshua Xerxes, five minutes later, after a nice little cutback, um, he put it into the bottom corner. So that one was 1-1 one, one at half time. Ghent, on the other hand, and Lurven were absolutely all over um, Lurven at home. Sorry, not in Lurven. Just couldn't find the net. They ended this game with 26 shots. Um, that kind of tells all you need to say about this one. They did finally get the breakthrough. Julian Dessart in the 42nd minute. Nice little bit of work on the right-hand side from, I believe it was Sven Kums, uh, laid it back to Dessart, who smashed it past uh, Paul Raffaromo, who kind of got like a farewell start. Um, <laughs> wasn't his probable favourite game to be playing in, that's for sure, given the end result. So at halftime, Ghent 1-0 up, Anderlecht drawing one also kind of advantage to Ghent in that sense. Straight into the second half, they took the, another lead. Uh, Tarek Tisudali in the 48th minute to make give them a 2-0 head start in that. And I think at that point, that game was basically done. All eyes were really on courts like against Anderlecht. Anderlecht in the second half, I think I said it on Twitter, and I was, yeah, company clearly gave a very good halftime team talk and was like, look, we, we can play better than this. We need to play better than this. And they just came out with so much more energy, so much more purpose. And they took the lead in the 52nd minute, Anwar Ait El Aj. Kwame with some really good work, cutting it back inside. Looked like he just needed to take a shot with his left foot, but he had the space to do it. Instead, he flicked it back to El Hadj on the edge of the box. Watanabe with a really good block initially, but couldn't stop the second attempt. And that went into the back of the net. Much to the like of the travelling fans who were in really good voice throughout the game. And an even better voice five minutes later when Christian Kwame made it three goals to one. And yeah, at that point, you're thinking Anderlecht looked quite comfortable. Courts like couldn't maintain the energy levels they had. They had so many chances in the first half they just couldn't take. And I feel like that could be an issue going into next season that they might need to rectify because they're creating a lot, but they just couldn't find the back of the net so yep yeah, 3-1 at that point you kind of think that's it but then they did get a goal kind of like a long ball over the top Brian Reynolds running onto it in the 67th minute really nice control and finish from him actually it was nice to see him getting up the pitch and yeah at that point caught right right back in the game with still nothing to play for which is quite interesting you think well what, where's the push for them to get back into it but they definitely did they had lots of set pieces lots of corners lots of chances However, I think at one point, someone at Ghent said that they had equalised. <laughs> Much to the light of the Ghent fans, unfortunately <laughs> for them, that wasn't the case. Despite that, Ghent piled on the goals in the last couple of minutes. Hull Saga with a really nice finish in the 86. Tisu Dali then got a hat-trick, 89 and 90th minute. That one finished 5-0. However, unfortunately for Ghent, Anderlecht did hold on and they made it into playoff one. Much to the light of company, he looked massively relieved. At the end of that one, I think he knew that he needed playoff one and they were in the driving seat to get it. It was left tight. They kind of left it kind of into the second half to really start playing. But when they did, they were good enough for it. They got the three points. They're in playoff one. Ghent drop into playoff two. And Scott, I know you did a bit of a deep dive in stats. So my kind of long monologue can hand over to you. Yeah, I think, um, you know... Happy birthday to Big Vinny, first of all. It was his birthday as well, so, you know, there were lots of reasons for him to celebrate, not just getting the result that he really, really wanted. And he appeared in some rather nice photographs um, afterwards, uh, looking well chuffed with himself. Major objective of the season, obviously, uh, I 
achieved for them. They can tick that off. Playoff one was was the bare minimum, and you know they've been really really good recently. We've been talking about this over the last the last couple of weeks in particular, how well they've been playing. I mean, if you look at their form over the last uh, nine games, they've they've won seven, drawn one, and and lost one, scoring twenty and conceding only five in that time. But the goals have been spread about as well, which is an important point here. They're not they're not overly relying on necessarily one player. Obviously, Xerxes top scorer with fifteen this season. Rafailov is pitching in big time. He's he's got twelve. And then interestingly, third top scorer after that's actually Benito Raman, who's not been getting a great deal of game time. Kwame's been preferred over him, who's who's on eight goals. But they they they've been looking, you know, really, really good. And I think they go into the, the cup final, you know, next week in uh, on Easter Monday in, in, in really, really good shape. I think they were a wee bit unprepared in the first half for kind of quite how up for it Kurtrike actually were. I mean, he did say before the game, Vincent Company that you know that there are no mugs and that he didn't expect an easy game this was not the game he would have chosen to go into knowing they absolutely needed the three points to to ensure that 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 spot and I think he's right about that it's, it's a tricky place to go the Gildan spot and actually at any time Kertrike are normally you know pretty decent at home and they were they were good in the first half they they you know they had a right good go and obviously changes needed to be made at half time and words were clearly exchanged and you know Anderlecht went up a couple of gears in the second half really you know their intensity was better you know they were creating more openings the, the, yeah it was it was it was kind of night and day really you know and they, they they got the result in the end I feel I do feel for Ghent actually um because you know when you bear in mind how good they've been recently and equally they're on very very good form in fact Ghent and Anderlecht are the two informed sides really you know well pretty much since since January Ghent are unbeaten in nine themselves, uh, going back to the the thirtieth of January. They've won eight and drawn one, scoring twenty and conceding four. So their their goals ratio is actually that marginally better than better than Anderlecht's. But this is where the difference comes in. It really comes down to sort of Tarek Tisadali. Although he's got nineteen for the season and nineteen and twenty nine, the thing is that nine of those nineteen goals have come in those last nine games. So he's he's absolutely indispensable to that kind of excellent run of form that the Buffaloes have been on and without him they're they are actually in trouble so you know it's, it's just worth highlighting how, how how important he's been and he's been great recently obviously he got a, a hat trick this weekend too so he's 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 really he's really enjoying himself and I think this time last year based on this run of form Ghent, Ghent make playoff one so it's interesting isn't it guys because I think you know a lot can change in a year and it looks like the league has got that little bit more competitive since last season because on the basis of that form as I was saying Ghent, Ghent almost certainly would have would have got the spot probably at the expense of Anderlecht who themselves have done better than they did last year so both sides pushing themselves and the Buffaloes will be really kicking themselves about that slightly sluggish start to the season because that's where they dropped points that, that that have ultimately made made the difference here. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting discussion actually. Like, is it because the top teams got better, or is it because there are some very weak teams that more more, uh, more teams got the points against? Oh, one case at least that seems to be true in Beerschot's case, of course. Oh, okay, that's not the topic of this uh, part of the section. Of course, we will definitely talk about them later on, unfortunately, <laughs> as well. Uh, well deserved for Anderlecht, I guess. Indeed, incredible run of form from uh, both of both sides. Uh, uh, together with Sinterada's form, we will touch on that a bit later as well. 
but definitely uh, among the teams, uh, informed teams, and one of them had not to make it. They, I do think, though, that um, the fifth place Gent, well, either they will go into Europe either via winning the cup or, well, if the, if the, if that would be enough to win playoff two, I'll, I'll put it like that. If that would be enough in the end, I, I do think the margin is big enough. And that they uh, definitely will go into Europe um, if they all don't already have a better ticket via the cup, of course. But um, yeah, and, and uh, well, Scott mentioned a lot of things already, of course. Um, uh, I guess it's a to touch a bit more on Anderlecht. Then I guess it's a good thing for them, and a thing they have improved on uh, over the course of the past two seasons. That like they have a lot uh, of m- more players that can score the goals now. Uh, like last season, they were very decent. Um, dependent on Metsha scoring goals. Now the goals come from more places. They don't have the top, top scorer there yet, but they have five or six players that have around 10 goals uh, over the course of the season. So the, uh, yeah, that, that proves their versatility um, and it, it makes them less dependent on, on one player, of course, which is the difference with with Hintz, um, as Scott already touched on, uh, which also you can see in the, the total goal scored in the end. Um, Anderlecht is uh, the second best attack together with Club Brugge. One goal behind Union, who have played a little less, of course, but <laughs> again, we'll touch on that later. And yeah, so like Anderlecht is definitely on the on the way up and um, will be interesting to see if they can capitalize on that in this season already as well. And of course, uh, already good that they made playoff one. Uh, again, that is definitely like Scott mentioned as well. Uh, the, the first objective in the company was really happy with that. It's interesting, isn't it, guys? Because I was going to ask you what you think of this about, you know, I, I think privately inside the Anderlecht, I suspect they now think that, you know, why why not? Let's give the title a really good go. Yeah, there's a, there's a points difference to kind of overhaul there, but the way they're playing at the the moment suggests that you know they're they're in a much better position to do better in the playoffs than they were this time last season, where the the playoffs uh, for them were were a crashing disappointment, really. Um, but but this time they have every reason because of the run of form they're going into to, to think, you know what, let's let's give this a good go and, and and see what happens because it's now that tight that you know we're in within you know such a small margin of error now that it, it's very possible, and you know I. I I would I if I was Vincent Company, I would be saying to that squad, look boys, let's um let's really push hard and go for this because there's absolutely no reason no reason why not based on you know how how they're playing and I know they feel good about themselves you you can tell that in their body language so it's 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 going to be an exciting playoff and we we definitely have a title race on yeah I want to touch on I mean, that a bit like that's one of the things that they still need to improve on they've only won one game against the playoff one opponents and also. Yeah. Uh, um, well, against Gent, um, they they lost. Like when the pressure gets high, uh, also in this game against Kortrijk, it seems like they, there's still some work to do there. And um, in that regard, I do think it's uh, going to be really important, even more important, I guess, if they win the cup and they really don't have any pressure in the, going into playoff uh, playoff one. Maybe the uh, same scenario, similar scenario as uh, Genk had last season, could happen. If not, well, the, the pressure mounts again. Yeah, we'll see. But yes, I, I do agree. I, th- I think internally they they probably are thinking about uh, about this title run. For, um, and why would they not? Of course. Yeah, I think when you look at the teams that are in there, if we're being honest, Bruges and Anderlecht are kind of like they feel like they're really the inform size in terms of how they're playing. Like Union, 
it's been a struggle the last couple of games uh, against some of the sides that you just think they would win, they would beat and put the goal, put the ball in the back of the net against, but they just haven't been able to do it. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, if you're Antwerp, you're probably the most worried because you're coming into this with just not, you haven't played well. Like, yes, you can kind of squeak out these 1-0 wins here and there, but now you're playing the best of the best, the teams that are in form, like Club Bruges took them apart a few weeks ago after going just a goal behind. So, I mean, it'd be... Ironic in a not-so-fun way, because, I mean, a lot of neutrals obviously want Union to win the league because of the story, but can you imagine if the other Brussels team won it? Like, a Brussels team's... If you said, like, a couple of months ago, a Brussels team's going to win the league, you'd be like, oh, yeah, Union. And then Anderlecht, like, snuck through and won it. Um, but I, agree, I don't think they will. I think yours is right. I think it all depends on the pressure and the situations that they get themselves into, which is... I just have that sneaky feeling that Club Bruges are going to be the team to win it, just because they've... They know how to deal with the pressure out of all those teams the best. Well, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting you mentioned that, Ben, because I, I, was, I was thinking that, you know, we, we haven't talked about Bruges really uh, for what feels like a while. And that's kind of coincided with, you know, obviously Alfred Schroeder coming in as the new head coach and, you know, there being a, a, an adjustment to their playing style and, and everything that goes along with that. And I think now they're starting to click kind of properly. I think we're starting to see, obviously, a fit Scott Olsen. And actually, they, they, they've been playing really well for the last two or three weeks and they're now at a level where you know just as we were saying internally at Anderlecht they're probably saying to each other look there's no reason why we can't really really go for this now we're right in the mix they will feel exactly the same and obviously the what happened at the Joseph Marion at the weekend with the game being abandoned and us not yet knowing the outcome points wise anyway of 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 that fixture that that has massive implications obviously we'll talk about that in a little while but you know the the psychologically the difference between union going into the playoffs having a one-point lead over Bruges to having that three-point lead should they get you know the forfeiture from the abandoned game is absolutely crucial at this stage I think and I know that Bruges are obviously looking at this really really closely and are going to be looking at the rules and the the, the, the small print you know when the judgment comes out because they, they they're, they're equally aware of how important that is and, and just the psychological difference that could make because it just piles the pressure onto to Union who to be fair to them have responded to pressure of all kinds better than anybody up to uh, up till now. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, 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 I never thought in a million years that getting to March day 34 and the start of the playoffs that things would be actually as tight as they were. We knew the gap was starting to narrow a bit in recent months, but it's it really has got to, to, to a point now where, yeah, let's, you know, it's, it's about what you're made of now. And you mentioned Bruges, you know, that squad of players have done this before the majority of them they know how to handle this situation so it's going to be really really exciting I think yeah no I think while while we're talking about this let's let's talk about that game the Union Scott game I feel like no point saving it to later let's talk about it now I mean for those that didn't see it didn't watch the game but from what I've kind of heard and read and stuff like Union they did kind of dominate it in terms of shots and possession and everything like that which you'd expect and um I don't know yeah like it's a sort of game where like you feel like ah oh, you just feel like bisque any other time of the season they would they'd have easily won that game do you know what I mean but because it's the last game of the season for some reason bisque got still with nothing to play for just going to be dogged and not let you through and stuff like that and then we got I don't know I can't remember how far we got into it it was like was there 10 minutes left, 10, 15 minutes left of the game? And I mean, we've seen some Beer Scott fans before. We saw it in the Antwerp derby in Beer Scott when it was at the Beer Scott Stadium where that fan just ran and lobbed something into the Antwerp fans. We're like, hang on, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, that's crazy. 
And then they've just done it again here, like coming on the pitch, trying to attack the Union fans. It's like, lads, come on, you're, you're relegated. Like, what are you doing? You're down, there's nothing to play for. Yeah, okay, the team's been rubbish, but what are you gaining from this? Do you know what I mean? It's like, you've. it's the classic case if you just come out to like, to just be a twat about everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've just literally come out to watch football with that intention. Like, I don't know how much you've had to drink, how much you've had of the other stuff that you might have taken. I saw some people um, alluding to that other stuff already being taken as well, but it just made no sense. Do you know what I mean? It, just, it was complete nonsensical. It was a complete waste of everyone's time. And it just kind of sums up the club season in a way, doesn't it? Like, that's the way it ends. And it's just like, it's been a bad year around. And like, certain sections of that fan base when we've seen them in the stadium, have kind of played into it, if you know what I mean. Like, they've didn't, they've behaved just as badly as some of the times the team has played. So, at the moment, we don't know what is going to happen, whether Union will be given the points. It kind of depends on lots of things. I mean, one of them was if their security was up to shape. And if that's fine, then potentially there's rumours that if that's been a cast as okay, they'll get the three points. Or we could go back and play those last 10 minutes. So that I said to you guys, like, how many of the Beer Scott players are still in the country? Like, surely most of them on the holidays. Like, most of the time, as soon as that game's done, off you go, you know? Like, why do you want to hang about after that sort of a season? So you'd have to kind of rope them all back in from their holiday plan. So it's just a bit of a mess, isn't it? And it, it just feels so stupid that it's come from a side that is already relegated and has to look forward to 1B now and start thinking about that. And it's like their fans have just been like, right, we're going to have one last kind of final impact on 1A. Yeah, I don't, I think as my kind of taking it as long, like whatever the decision is, as long as it's like within the rules and is fair to all sides, including the other teams in the, the 1A kind of championship playoff, because it wouldn't be fair if the rules were kind of bypassed and they were just given three points just for the sake of it. But also they need to be given the chance to win the game. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a very complex one, this, because I think, you know, if, if Union had been leading in the game at the point when it's suspended and then abandoned, it actually becomes much easier for the, the Belgian FA's disciplinary committee to then sit down and go, OK, we're going to award the forfeiture to Union because their security measures are up to scratch if that's what they find and they were in the lead anyway and there's so little left to play of the game. But because the game's suspended at nil-nil, that makes it that bit more difficult and actually it leaves them with less wiggle room when it comes to kind of making a decision. I mean, if you're Bruges and the decision comes back from the disciplinary committee, they say, well, we think Union's security measures were sound and up to scratch, and that there's no issues with them really, and we're going to award them the forfeiture. You're setting a, you're definitely setting a precedent. They are that's slightly off centre go, go, going into the the playoffs. And like I was saying, Bruges, no, you know the difference between one and three points is is, is absolutely massive. And interestingly as well, when you look at the way the fixtures have come out for the Championship playoff, Union are playing Bruges back to back, right in the middle of the playoffs as well. So the way the fixtures have come out is 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 really really interesting. Two Union starting at home with a, a very tasty derby against um, Anderlecht, uh, which which will be spicier than than even the ones we've already seen this season as well. So it's it's everyone's waiting with bated breath to see the way that this goes. I mean, I I, I had a feeling that 
they might take an even more left field approach to this and go, well, let's replay the game completely because of everything that's at stake. And that might seem like the fairest thing to, to, to kind of do. Because at the same time, if you come back and do the other option, which is finish those last eight or nine minutes plus stoppage time, that seems a little bit bizarre because it's it's such little time as well. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. And I, I don't honestly envy that disciplinary committee. So we're all, we, we want and another thing with the, if uh, they would award the the forfeiture on the for for Union of course that really does set a dangerous precedent uh, for for in the future of course that yeah as a fan you can really influence the course of a game uh, and well fans with bad intentions yeah, can yeah. go yeah into try to get into the wrong uh, stance that they don't need to be and um, well try to ruin the game there. Now I'm just during. I also uh, started to think in the Netherlands there is a game between Vitesse and Sparta that also got abandoned, but I don't know the exact circumstances anymore. I think it had to do with flares and everything, but I, I guess it's I, probably not a one-on-one comparison possible. But there they were. Well, I think in injury time already they they they, they have to replay these six minutes, and I do feel in a way that would be the most the the, the best uh, solution as well. Here, but on the other hand, of course, indeed, as Ben mentioned, that maybe half of the squad of Bergschot are already on holidays, um, and I just do not know how, what 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 kind of approach there is. But um, uh, and what would be the best? It, it's really a really tricky tricky to, um, dossier. Yeah, it's a difficult it's a difficult one. It definitely is. I mean, to be fair to Bergschot, they issued a a club statement really really quickly, which was actually very clear and strong. That completely condemned their own fans' behaviour and they apologised to both Union and the FA, you know, for not only their own fans' behaviour, you know, spoiling the game, uh, but also for bringing their own club into disrepute and, and wider Belgian football. But it's interesting as well, you know, the new CEO of the Pro League, Lauren Paris, has, has been saying over the last few days that he, he intends to uh, progress with new security measures, stricter security measures for next season and get them in place and signed off. We don't know what that means yet, but I suspect that has got you know implications for fans being searched on the entrance to grounds and and issues around flares because obviously we had issues with flares at the Leers Beveren game last weekend, which was not abandoned and that result stood. And I've seen you know a lot of fans, which is quite fairly saying, well, why is one game abandoned and one not? But this is this is about the police and the uh, the referee, uh, they're in charge of this, so they have to agree on, on, on the course of action. But, you know, the CEO at Beveren, uh, Anton Gobin, uh, who, who we know here at the BFP, friend of the BFP, he, he has a lot of experience from his time working in the MLS in America as well, and they, they've got quite a strict, specific setup there around uh, agreed use of flares in stadiums. So there are certain types of flares there that are allowed uh, within certain areas of stadiums at certain points in games as well. So I think he's quite keen to discuss with the Pro League about how they maybe manage this now so that there's a, some kind of compromise found around fans being able to express themselves in a safe but also in a passionate, colourful way that doesn't involve, um, obviously, violence and disruption that 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 causes games to be abandoned or attacking fans and my feeling about this guys is ultimately I think the fans need to drive the policing of this I don't think the authorities can 
necessarily put the right mechanisms in place for, for this to happen. I think there's only so much they can do, really. No, I agree. And I think with Scott, at least, like, we've seen they did stop fans coming into the stadium anyway. <laughs> they played all those games behind closed doors as well. But yeah, no, I agree. I think that's kind of what I thought with the, the Bever and the Ace game was like, yeah, you kind of look at that, you know, well, we need more consistency, I guess, in the decision-making around that. But yeah, I think final word on this, I think the fairest thing, if it's possible logistically, is to play those final minutes because then no one can really complain. Like, if anyone go and win the game they win the game they've done it fairly if they don't win the game they don't win the game like it's just it's very much it's a lot harder to complain when you just say okay we'll just play these out um but yeah anyway we will keep everyone updated on our socials with what is finally agreed um and how that affects kind of the table and everything like that let's move on to the other playoff obviously we know Ghent are in there we know Charleroi are in there we know that Mechelen were already in there as well before the games kicked off so that just left one spot left um the limbo boys St Truden and Genk um and basically yeah neck and neck in terms of like who was on what and stuff if they finished with the same kind of results uh Genk were going to get in so if Genk won St Truden it didn't matter what they did um but if Genk failed to win and St Truden won they'd make their way in and it was St. Tudin who struck first between the two sides. They were playing home to Standard Liège in front of a packed stadium, as we said earlier. And um, I mean, it was just great to see it was absolutely rammed. And yeah, we'll kind of speak a little bit later about kind of what the club should do in terms of keeping the good times going in terms of that. Uh, but it was one of the Japanese players, Seichi Hara, who gave them the lead. Really nice finish in the 22nd minute. A couple of minutes later, Daichi Hashi had made it 2-0. And at that point, it was still 0-0 over in um, Salang. So St. Tudin, Binky's boys, as we like to call them on here, were on their way to playoff two at that moment. However, Salang, who, I mean, before the game, uh, Garcia had said he's going to rest loads of players because he doesn't want them to get um, suspensions. Um, I think he should have less, lested, rested Dabia because he decided to get himself sent off anyway in the 34th minute. So that kind of blew up in his face. So they were down to 10 men. However, Genk didn't take the lead in that one until the 44th minute. Junior Ito just before half time with a really nice finish. Um, so that meant despite all St. Juden's hard work, it was Genk that were going through into playoff two. And with Salang down to 10 men, it kind of looked very unlikely that they were going to get back into it. And with obviously nothing to play for in terms of the playoff coming up, Genk absolutely dominated with possession, 68%, 12 shots on tar- 12 shots, six was them which were on target. And Christian Thorsfeld made it safe uh, in the 54th minute. So that one finished 2-0, which meant, unfortunately, despite their really good form uh, and run up to this playoff too, since Houdin just fell short. Uh, Jao Klaus did get his final goal in the Pro League before his move to the aforementioned MLS and the 77th minute, a nice finish from him. Scott, you watched both of these games and you were just saying how great it was. We've, I keep mentioning it, the great atmosphere in St. Sudan. However, they just fell short, but it was kind of a little glimpse about what could be, what football could be like in in the city and for that club if they maintain this kind of level of uh, performances over the next season. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny what can happen, actually, isn't it? Because um, way back at the start of the season, I, I highlighted that I had real worries uh, for the Canaries. I, I had St. Trudeau down as one of the sides who I thought really were in serious danger of of being in a, in a proper relegation dogfight. And, I, and it absolutely hasn't turned out that way. Um, that was that was based then on the fact that they've had a, a, you know, a long-term history of recruitment that you've Kind of, I would describe anyway as kind of patch up work, 
a lot of the recruitment has 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 been relatively short term deals and and loans which you know um you don't have necessarily a great deal of confidence a player's going to be able to produce the goods straight away and if they do it's going to take a bit of time and you know look looking at their form i mean the, the, their last defeat domestically came uh, on the 28th of January when they lost 1-0 to Charleroi. And that time, uh, they've got seven wins and nine with, with two draws. And in amongst that, obviously, is is a Limburg derby win again away um, to their great Limburg rivals, the, the, the Genkies. But they've scored 16 and conceded four in that time. So offensively, they've been really pretty strong. And defensively, where they've always been at their strongest, I think, the base has always been pretty reliable. Um, even that has got more solid. Question, I suppose, is, well, what's behind this? we got a really good question into us here at the BFP um, from regular listener, um, Charlotte, um, who I know has a big interest in everything in St Truden because of her interest in Japanese football and, and, and Asian football, which she covers herself in fantastic detail. Charlotte was asking us, you know, what's what, what's been happening there, you know, but behind this run of form, because nobody did really see it coming. And I went away and did some digging and was looking at the numbers. And I think you have to go back to their January transfer business. We knew at the time we fell after the window closed that their business had been quite good. They did a lot of business right at the very end. Felt like they were going to sign, you know, half of the standard squad. It, that's the way it looked within the last 24 hours anyway. But we know that, you know, Zhao Klaus came in on loan and they managed to get uh, Amin Aldekiel, you know, really promising young defender on a permanent deal. And also the the big one, I suppose, really was uh, Shinji Kagawa, who actually has had a very slow start because he hasn't been fit. He's only had one start in six appearances and He's got one assist so far, so he's, he's barely featured. But I think he has had an influence in the squad. Conversely, eight players actually went out in January, and I think I think the squad has just been more settled and it's gelled better, I think. I think that quite simply is what's happened, I think. Um, and the players have bought into what Bernd Hollerbach's kind of trying to do. It, it, to me, this is all about the kind of squad dynamic and... Obviously, you know, Suzuki having a fantastic season last year uh, for St. Truden has been, I think, it's, it was an open secret, a bit of a disruptive influence since he came back because his behaviour was, was really not good. But, of course, they have to play him, you know, and, you know, eventually he, he got his move back to the J-League. He went back there. And I, I think Suzuki not being there is, ironically, one of the reasons why, you know, the squad is better. Hara, Taichi Hara, has, has embraced being the main man to such an extent that he's finished the season as their top scorer. Unfortunately for the Canaries, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to kind of convert that loan into a permanent deal. So they have been looking at bringing in a new Japanese striker, I understand. So it looks like somebody new is going to be coming in there in the summer. But, you know, to have their best run of form since 1965... Um, and to have a, an almost sold-out Stein at the weekend there was absolutely brilliant to see because St. Trude are a club who for a number of years now have had a, a difficult relationship with their fan base. There's been a disconnect there between their fans who think that, you know, they're not developing the, the kind of Belgian core um, 
of the team enough. Um, and, you know, I suppose that's a separate discussion, but it just shows you that, you know, a great run of form and the chance to achieve something like getting into the playoffs really does galvanise your fan base and get people back together again. And fair play to the fans. They really came out and there's a fantastic atmosphere at Stein in the game. They played really, really well and they dictated the play, which they've been doing for a number of weeks, which is great to see because sometimes they've been slow starters for a long time. And, Bernd Hollerbach has really turned things around there in really an impressive way. And I think the lesson for the board, anyway, eh, for me is they have to they have to invest ahead of next season now, despite, you know, I, I think their plan's not being to do that. I think all of the evidence says, look, you know, look what's been achieved with, you know, what's been at their disposal. So some relatively modest investment in the summer in the right areas really could... Uh, push them on again to to, to having a, a, a an even better season next year. And just coming back to the kind of Belgian core point that the fans have a bit of an issue with. I was having a look at the young Belgian players at the club, um, and there are actually um, there are twelve Belgians um, in the squad. Um, Six of them are pretty young players between the ages of 17 and 20. And rather interestingly, one of them, uh, the young 17-year-old left-back Arno Donny, uh, actually signed for Union Saint-Gelois uh, just today. The news broke about that today. So they, they, they've lost him. Um, but they also have, there are, you know, there's a 19-year-old defender in there, uh, Rainer Van Elden, 20-year-old defender David Mendombe, um, there's an attacking midfielder, Stan Van Dessel, uh, attacking central midfielder as well, Jan Stoikers. So there is there, there is some young talent there who I think if they can add to the mix, uh, would excite the fan base um, even more. Um, interestingly, sixth best side defensively, St. Truden as well. I was talking about how, how solid the base is. Um, and I think it's rather a rather remarkable, one of the most remarkable stories in the second half of the season for me, because I certainly didn't see it coming. And if you're Bernd Hollerbach and you're sitting there, final thing I'll say at the moment about this is you've got to be saying to your board, listen, guys, you know, give me three or four decent bits of quality in the summer and um, I can take us on another level here because we've we, we found something that's working for us. Let's build upon it and not go backwards, particularly when we've got a full stadium at our back now. You just, you just, you, you cannot turn your back on these things. Yeah, they've got to like capitalise on it for sure. And um, yeah, some of the players you mentioned there, like Van Dessel's been unlucky with injury. I think he was kind of featuring a little bit at the beginning and looked like a nice, like kind of promising prospect in that sense. And then, yeah, defensively, I think the signing of Leisner, Bauer, uh, Alda Kills come in now, looks pretty decent. Daniel Schmidt's like a solid keeper. I wouldn't say he's an exceptional goalkeeper, but I think he's like, he's good for the level. He's solid. He makes some saves. Like clearly there's good communication between that back line in terms of like him organizing it and stuff like that. Obviously we spoke a lot about St. Tudor there. Let's move to no. Genk. Joris, a few weeks ago, you said you didn't want them in playoff <laughs> two. Um, have you changed your mind? Are you kind of happy they're there? Um, you said about kind of giving the young players some chances and stuff like that. But with the gap now, I think if I can just get it up. Here. So I can get rid of this. Uh, yeah, so obviously with them now in third place within the Conference Playoff League 2, whatever you call it, um, with 26 points, only five points off of Ghent. So, I don't know, an injury to Tisa Dali, like then Ghent can't score any goals, as we've kind of alluded to earlier. I mean, 
what your kind of impressions of getting into playoff two and pipping uh, St. Jude to the post? Well, I, I'm actually go completely off script. <laughs> My no there was not for a reason, <laughs> for, for without reason, I mean, because Scott was waxing lyrical about uh, one of our rivals uh, in Sintrade and well, some pe- older uh, people that are f- have been following us a bit longer might even remember that I mentioned uh, both Van Dessel and Stökers as potential revelations, uh, I believe, of outsiders in that category in our uh, big uh, season preview earlier on. But I also want to dig the hole a bit deeper for our other rivals in Standard, uh, who have managed to get into 14th place, uh, which is the uh, worst the ranking they've got since um, well the first season after the second world war in 46 so in 76 years uh, have to highlight that but i will also try to get them a bit out of it as well uh, it is mentioning uh, uh, it is worth mentioning that in uh, with Nubi Kinsiona, who made his debut, another debutant in Galidi, and Sanak, they uh, at some point, I believe, or well, they have fielded in this game uh, four players from 2005. So the, the future might still look bright. Of course, there's a bit of a necessity there. But uh, anyway, I want to give, wanted to give these guys a, a little shout out. Okay. And now, after this, I will get back to, to, uh, to what the, the actual question. <laughs> Um, so, well, my feelings, well, the game was apparently not great from Henk, uh, but uh, it's always nice to see Oyen getting an assist. We've been touching on him uh, almost every week now. It's a good sign that he's also playing uh, more. Let's hope that continues as well, talking about the, the, the future again as well, of course. Well, the feelings for Playoff 2, well, yes, indeed, it's five points, but these things always even out and, well... Actually, we will know it uh, after the first game already because Genk plays in Ghent um, in uh, in the first uh, game here. So um, if they win that one, they might be in the mix. If they lose that one, they're definitely out. Um, so I-, I would reassess then. Unfortunately, uh, Ito is suspended for that game because of the yellow card he, he gathered in Serain. Uh, so that is a big miss for Genk as well in that one already. Looks also like it's a bit... Genk is a bit similar in, in that sense with Hint as well. The, Ito is really the one that hasn't been... Well, he hasn't been always been great, but he has been decent enough in form. Like I've, I know I've been laughing with our, our rivals now, of course, but I think for me, uh, well, personally, of course, but for many other people as well, I think Hink is the disappointment of the season, even ahead of Standard, just because of, uh, well, the situation around the both clubs before the season and, well, as the season went on. Uh, well, I do feel there is a chance, but they have to take it in the first game already, and if not, then, uh, well, I would go in for throwing in, uh, testing a few youngsters. Probably it's not a good approach for them, but just, uh, we know, to, to throw them all in at once. But, uh, well, since now, also since last week, they are certain of uh, being one of the, uh, well, being in the top four in the in the uh, under-21 league. So that uh, the 1B classification, if that goes through, um, well, is also secured. So that's... Um, yeah, they don't need to be rested for that, even though that would, in my mind, already be a bit of a weird uh, thing. But now uh, this would could be an ideal testing stage um, if the, there's not a, a realistic chance anymore to, to get into uh, a fifth place as well. And, and well, to be fair, also think I feel like, well, I think there's one weird scenario. Well, there's a few scenarios again. If fifth uh, place is enough for getting into Europe, 
I've, I think there is still some chance, if not, and still have to play against the fourth of uh, or third. I think it also depends on that with the cup and all. Um, well, let's not get to if they still have to play another playoff uh, game against the the one of the teams in playoff one. I don't see it happening, um, but who knows? Because in that case, they would already have been in a good form, of course, to get in, get in that to that place uh, at least. But I don't see Henk having uh, European football next season still, um, and I hope to see some youngsters once that's really well. If that if and once that's really decided, yeah. No, can't argue with any of that. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> trying to work out all the like implications of something is something, yeah, we're going to have to kind of go away and then put out at some point just to kind of explain what happens if this happens, if this happens. Obviously, once the cup final's done, like we'll have a much better idea of kind of like tickets and stuff like that for those two sides at least and kind of like what that implies for them and the other teams within those playoff brackets. Um, we will have a cup final preview coming out before the cup final as well it may have already dropped before this who knows you may have already listened to it by the time you listen to this looking just quickly at the kind of second playoff group outside of that you've obviously got Ghent uh, Charleroi and Mechelen Ghent obviously top at the moment they're on 31 points um, obviously we know what the points are in this one at least compared to the other one Charleroi second four points behind them on 27 then Ghent and Mechelen equal on 26 points I mean Scott I know you are the kind of the Mechelen fan or the, the Mechelen soft spot. Um, they obviously open up against Charleroi in that one. Given Charleroi's kind of record against good teams, I guess we could say, do you think if Mechelen win that and then they've got to obviously hope Genk can win, like, what do you think their kind of aspirations should be as well? Do you think they've got a chance of getting, pushing into that into the European ticket spots? Or do you think their kind of lapse in form recently has kind of got, got rid of that chance, I guess? It's really interesting, actually, playoff too, because I think... Um, I think this is going to be really, really competitive. I mean, there tends to be less interest in playoff too, for, for obvious reasons, but there actually shouldn't be, because I think looking at the teams in it this year, um, I, I think it will be actually quite close. I mean, you mentioned a little while ago, um, jokingly, of course, you know, if something happens to Tarek Tisadali, then, then you know, the Buffaloes have a, have a problem um, in the playoffs, and, and they absolutely do. That kind of changes the conversation slightly, I think, around that. I know that, you know, in, inside the Mecklen camp, I, I think they have a, a, a very open mind about this I think they feel you know let's let's give it as, as good a go as we can and, and and try and win that playoff there's no reason why not and they're, they're, they're right to think that um, it, it's interesting here because um, as far as Mecklen in particular are concerned they are one of a number of clubs that there could be quite a bit of change at in the summer depending on how things go and one of those variables is how they do in the playoffs I think Mecklen potentially winning the playoffs, if you imagine that scenario for a second, that definitely is the difference between I think some of those players leaving this summer and not because of because of having European football. In fact, um, Gaetan Cook, um, who has the the best goalkeeping uh, outfit in the league, hands down, I think. Um, can't resist an opportunity to, to mention that yet again. Um, he was actually saying uh, over the last 24 hours, um, we know he's had offers uh, from outside Belgium, um, and he did say that European football would, would definitely be 
um, a deciding factor and whether he decided to stay at the club beyond the summer. And there are some other players in, in, a, in a similar situation. So there are, there's really serious motivation there for some players in this squad to, to go and do it because it's not that they don't want to stay at Mechlin. I think there's a realisation that, you know, achieving European football would would be another step up for them and a recognition of all the work that they've done and would give them a real reason to stay at the club equally. Not winning the playoffs would, I think, allow some of those players who've done very, very well to just reassess and go, look, is now the right time to, you know, maybe go and try something else somewhere else? Because, of course, there are issues around whether Wouter Rankin is staying. That hasn't been clarified quite yet. Um, and that feeds into all of this as well and how that might impact the change. So at the moment, I think probably Ghent are favourites. I say that based on their form, obviously. Um, but Charleroi will really fancy their chances because, you know, they, they, they've they've had a very good season and I think they are ahead of where they thought they would be at this point. Um, Estelle's done a really good job there with his team and I think they'll be really keen to push hard for it to, to win this as well. So um, playoff two is is by no means uh, any less interesting than the championship playoff this year. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think looking in the playoff two as well and at those teams, they've all got kind of strikers that are showing some reasonably good form. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Shallow there and Bio has been looking really, really good recently. Um, obviously, we've got Big Paul on Awachu, um, Kuipers at Mechelen, and then Tisu Dali, obviously, as we've mentioned at Ghent as well. I mean, I know I mentioned about if he gets injured. Fingers crossed he doesn't get injured. I think that would just be awful. I don't, he obviously doesn't deserve that. We want to see Tisu Dali on the pitch as much as possible. Um, he's one of the more enjoyable players to watch. Um, Obviously, those games aren't taking place till after the cup final, as you mentioned before. And yeah, that will have an impact again on kind of, I guess, how some teams approach it in terms of Ghent and Anderlecht. Um, if Anderlecht were to win that and have beaten Ghent to um, the playoff one position, I mean, that'd be quite a bitter pill to swallow for Ghent fans and uh, Heisenberg as well. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, with Mechelen, they've obviously, they're in, it kind of feels that they're about to go into like a period of kind of uncertainty with Rankin with some of those players that you mentioned. Um, but yeah, I guess they can just... Thielen's a good second-choice keeper, so maybe he can just inherit the good kit that the goalkeeper does have at Mechelen <laughs> going forward. Um, it's also it, it's I also interesting, we, of course, if Hint win the cup, then yeah, they, they don't have anything to play for in that playoff anymore as well. So mm. that, that and, and the other teams are quite close to each other, even closer than, than the distance with Hint, of course. So yeah, definitely... Interesting uh, to follow and difficult to say anything about either playoff really before the cup final, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like, yeah, we probably should have waited for after the cup final. But anyway, um, we've probably covered everything looking ahead at kind of the playoffs and everything like that. Um, I guess now we'd usually go to our kind of 1B roundup. But Scott, I guess we can just look at the scores, but... Everything's already been decided, like we discussed last week. We know that Monambique will be playing Salang in the playoff. Uh, we know that Vitton are going down. Um, the only kind of uncertainty is kind of like what other one kind of second team sides will be in there and what team will come up from the third division. But anyway, I'll hand over to you for a quick look at 1B. Yeah, you're right, Ben. All of the kind of big outstanding issues, you know, have already been settled. We know who's going down. We know Western Lower Champions. 
Um, you know, we know that Lommel are safe now as well. Um, it's just the final, the final makeup, as you were saying, of of what one B is going to be like next season. Obviously, the the big outstanding issue, really, um, which we'll talk about a little nearer the time, is is the is the big playoff two leg uh, between Molenbeek and and Sarang. Um, but in terms of the action this weekend, uh, Westerlo recovered from their jitters over the last few weeks and absolutely hammered Muscron six uh, two. Um, Lommel uh, got another win uh, to finish their season uh, reasonably strongly. They they won three uh, two away at Verton. Uh, Denza lost two one at home against Leers, and Molenbeek uh, managed to beat their long term promotion playoff rivals for what felt like ages, um, two goals to one at the at the Edmund Machtons in a game that really didn't didn't have anything riding on it uh, in the end. Although for a long time it looked like that was going to be the game that probably would decide it, but it didn't work out that way. So despite all of the issues being decided, um, we still we, we we still wait to see whether whether Molenbeek can can join Westerlow in in one A or whether Sarang are going to be able to preserve their status. And we will know come come the end of April um, that the the two legs are, are scheduled for for the last week in April. Yeah, as you said. Yeah, that, that playoff is kind of coming up then. And um, yeah, it's a shame that we didn't have the Beveren modern beat kind of final game showdown. I think that could have made it really, really entertaining and exciting. And also, we also, we don't know what's going to happen to Muscon again. We're in, we could just kind of insert segment from last year and plug it into this bit this year, couldn't we, about their kind of financial situation and everything. Um, Teddy Chevalier coming out and being a bit kind of, well, just kind of saying what everyone thinks, I think, didn't he, with, with his little statement. Um, obviously, we'll kind of keep people updated with kind of what's going on there. There's not really much else we can say. It's just the similar situation about the finances and stuff like that. Before we go, let's quickly look at kind of the fixtures that when they do start. Obviously, we, like you said, Scott, we have that playoff game coming up then. In playoff two, the first game, if I'm reading my calendar correctly, is on the 23rd of April. Uh, so that'll be Mechelen and Charleroi. Uh, Sunday we'll have Ghent against Ghent to kick off those two, uh, kick off the second playoff. 24th of April we also kick off with the championship round. Uh, Club Rouge hosts Antwerp uh, first up, then Union will host Anderlecht. And in between that we do have the cup final as well coming up this Sunday. I think that's probably it for this episode. As always, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me. But an absolute pleasure, as always. And uh, Joris, I'm uh, I'm waiting for that beer report, my man. Yeah, yeah, you you might get it later on, but <laughs> I first have to dehydrate a bit, uh, rehydrate a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no more dehydrating needed, that's for sure. Um, if you can remember what beers you had as well, I think that's probably another question. Yeah, it, it, it anyway. makes me spur my mind. Yes, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, it's it's dr- jogging my memory now you mention it oh, this is not going to be a good exercise well at least I, I can practice my mod skills again yeah exactly exactly um, anyway as always guys thank you very much for joining me as always listeners thank you very much for listening to this episode you know the drill now if you like what we're doing please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice you can also get in touch with us on twitter it's at belgian podcast or you can find us on gmail as well it's belgian podcast at gmail.com as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you very soon in another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.